You are listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. It's a good morning. Oh, no, you don't. I did. Don't pull pull that one out on me. I'll stop, though. I'll stop right there. I'm here to be sad and cynical. (laughs) Don't you dare take that away from me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is. It's funny that we were just talking about that before yeah. we started recording. Right, we were talking right, about right. podcast introductions, mm-hmm. YouTube mm-hmm. introductions yeah. to particular shows. And what did we say? Something effective. We're here to talk to you about. Oh, I don't know. Spiritually like depressing. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But not always. You pointed that out. Not always. Right, no, not we, even most of the time, really. Usually, so. and I think I'm going to credit this in large part to you. Oh, um, boy. That we, we don't leave people in the gloom. We kind of shine mm. a light on the fact that there's, you know, there's still hope. I, on the other hand, would be like, you can figure that out yourself, and I'll leave you, <laughs> I'll leave you in the gloom. But, um, you would be like those guys who left the prophet Jeremiah in the pit, you know, just sinking in the, in the cistern, I, I think in the mud. a little extreme. No, I, that's, I'm, I'm drawing the comparison. I'm making it. It's too late. It's been made. I am, I am his friend from the court who went and pulled him out. Oh, okay. I see how that's, this is going. Because that's how this would go in real life. It would mm. not. Mm-hmm. I don't know how freaky and frightening that would be. Horrifying. Jeremiah was put in there by the king. So like, if you're going to pull him out of there, yeah. I don't know, he might kill you. Probably. You know? Also, the fact that Jeremiah was just in a dry cistern and was sinking into mud. What an unbelievable like, horror. And like, oh, you're just going to die. Like, you'll eventually sink and drown and die in, in mud. That's so bad. Woof, doggy. You know what else is kind of like a pit? Like a cistern Tell of me. mud? Yeah. Sometimes doubt. Whoa. Oh, Doubt man. sometimes is like that. Doubt it. Whoa. Oh, hey, you yeah. can't turn that on me like that. Okay. <laughs> I, I retract. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, this past weekend, if you were around, mm-hmm. we covered Luke 7, 18 through 35, which kicks off right away with John basically experiencing doubt. John the Baptist. Yeah, of all people. Of all people. Very significant, in my opinion. Very significant indeed. Mm. In fact, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think doubt in general is something that's still kind of haunting and bothersome to Christians, Western Christians in particular. Sure. Because I think we want everything in general to be kind of comfortable. You know, we're walking in the victory of the Lord. And to a degree, not even to a degree. I mean, that's true. We are. Mm -hmm. Christ has risen from the dead and he's ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's going to reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. So yes. So where it counts, we do have that security. Right. But doubt is still very much a part of the fabric of our lives today. And John the Baptist apparently experienced that because he sent the disciples, his two disciples to Jesus and asks, are you the one who is to come or am I supposed to be looking for someone else? (laughs) And it's interesting. I was reading John Calvin's commentary on this passage as I was preparing and writing the sermon this week. And he was trying to say that John was not experiencing doubt. What? That he sent the disciples to ask Jesus that question so that the disciples, his disciples could be reassured. And then very uncharacteristically for Calvin, he offered no argumentation for why he believed that. He just kind of said it. And all that kind of highlighted for me, I think that not only are we uncomfortable with our own doubts, but I think we're uncomfortable with the thought that our heroes experience doubts. Because I mean, what he's called like the greatest prophet of man. Yeah. Like, hello, that is quite, quite a mantle. It is. And you don't want that guy to experience doubt. Actually, I do. Okay, so Ethan does because he's sick and macabre. No, no I I'm do kidding, because it is deeply validating. Right. But I can also see, like, you have to take a few steps to get to that point. Yeah, yeah. And I think that 
Because at face value, it, it is, it's unnerving. Right. I'm imagining Calvin was probably thinking, oh man, if John the Baptist is experiencing doubts, I can experience doubts. And what yeah. happens if I experience doubts? Like, am I being unfaithful to the Lord? Do I not love him? Do I not trust him? I think a lot of that depends on how you handle yeah. life, which if I'm remembering correctly, Calvin was also kind of a depressive himself. Really? So maybe he was really trying to project some <laughs> strength <laughs> onto John the Baptist that most other commentators take John at his word there and yeah you know because I mean the man's languishing in prison exactly not a great place to be especially when you've been preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand and apparently you have an idea in your head that that means I'm not going to experience imprisonment you know that God's yeah. going to judge Herod for the things he's doing rather than letting me languish in prison exactly so all that to say doubt is a common part of life it was not uncommon to the men and women of the scriptures either Mm -hmm. it's not something that's unique to our time or to people outside the canon of the scripture and so i thought it would be helpful perhaps hopefully to discuss how we experience doubt and how we handle that and how we handle it when our heroes perhaps experience doubt because on another similar tangent i don't know how recently was. I guess it had to have been within the last 15 years, I suppose. But Mother Teresa is another person we'd probably consider a living saint. Yeah. Right? Well, she's not living anymore. But, you know, in her time, people called her a living saint. Closer to a modern day to us. Yeah. Much admired woman. Mm -hmm. And... I was listening to an interview of the Catholic philosopher and um, social worker. That's a poor term to describe it, but uh, it's the best one I can think of. Uh, Jean Vanier, and they were interviewing him, and he knew Mother Teresa, and they were asking. You know, apparently it came out that some of Mother Teresa's letters and journals, I think, revealed she had some pretty dark and depressing and doubting thoughts herself. Like Mother Teresa of all people. You know, you you put people like that in a category and you think they don't experience that. You would think that to get where she was, to be the kind of person she was, doubt, it never entered her mind. Right. You have to be a stone wall of assurance. Yes. And... If she did experience doubt, then it would have been earlier in her life. You yeah, know, exactly. she would have gotten that out of the way. But apparently not the case. And someone asked Jean Vanier, you know, what he thought about that. And he's a very gentle and calm man, if you've ever listened to him or if you're familiar with his work at all. But it was interesting to me that when someone asked him about this, he didn't get angry, but you could tell, I think he felt a little uncomfortable Real? oh, with the wow. fact that, oh, Mother Teresa, he wasn't uncomfortable with the idea that she would experience like anguish because she entered into the suffering of people. Uh-huh. You know, she was helping, uh-huh. you know, the poor and the destitute in the most impoverished places in the world, right. people that others hated and despised. And I don't think he was uncomfortable with that, but I think he was really trying to work around like Calvin was with John the Baptist. Like, well, surely, you know, that he didn't doubt, you know, she didn't doubt. Like we're supposed to be ashamed. Yeah. And it's just interesting to me that we feel that way about our heroes and then what does that say about how we experience doubt yeah so that was kind of a long rambling introduction but i think it reveals some unique and important insights into the nature of our humanity and the way we handle this so i had to say how do we experience it how do we handle doubt and what do we do about it when our heroes experience it of course right off the bat (laughs) i think part of what makes a conversation like this so difficult is that it's difficult like so many other words to pin Mm. down the word doubt like what does that mean Uh, I feel like you could ask 20 different people and get as many answers. Right. I think what further complicates it is that depending on whether you're approaching doubt philosophically Mm -hmm. or whether you're approaching it purely, you know, from the biblical perspective or whether you're approaching it anecdotally and just asking other people, you know, like what has been your quote unquote experience with 
with doubt, you know, doubt of God, doubt in certain institutions, doubt in a relationship, whatever have you. Like you said, you're going to get so many different answers. It's just one of these ephemeral things that's hard to pin down. But I do think that we can get, biblically speaking, a fairly general and helpful idea of what doubt is and how we experience it and how God responds to it and how we ought to respond to it in one another and in ourselves. Because I don't know about you, but I've experienced some doubts in my life. Well, certainly. I can think of a, a couple times, and I think I've mentioned this once or twice on the podcast, that there was a period when I was at Liberty where yeah. I was really doubting, for lack of a better term, my call, you know, into mm-hmm. pastoral ministry and wondering, you know, God, did you lead me out here to, you know, like just prove a point and show me that, you know, I'm not supposed to do this and I'm supposed to go do something else. Like, Ooh. what is going on here? And that was a, that was a dark place. Scary. So I don't want to like, gross word, but I don't want to like turn doubt into a fetish, you know, where we're like saying like, oh, it's a, you know, yeah. it's inherently a good thing to have doubts. Right, right, right. I don't know. I mean, an escalating vulnerability yeah. here. I mean, have you, have you experienced this? I think for me, it is almost always turned inwardly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not so much about circumstances or what God is or isn't doing. It's like, how serious am I? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Am I like, yeah. sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm just a fake fan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think this, I believe such and such is real, but like, doesn't fail. You know what I mean? It's like, do I really? Yeah. So it's always, it's always very quickly turned inwardly on yeah. me. Um, and, and for me, like you said, like how, how you might define doubt, it's to say a lack of assurance is I think a little weak. I think it's an ungroundedness that mm. where everything feels shaky. Yeah. So kind of floating free and yeah. loose and not mm-hmm. really anchored and tethered. Yeah, that's a good image. Yeah. That's a good image. So not uncommon and probably to no one's surprised by this point, there's no simple formula in the scriptures for how this is approached or how it's handled or even how it's experienced. Right. But like I said, I think we have some general insights and truths that we can glean from the scriptures that can be helpful to us and can help us discern in our own lives what kind of doubt we're experiencing and how to respond to that. For example, with John the Baptist, we'll just lead off with him since we've mentioned him. And if you heard the sermon, you know where this is going. But when he sends these disciples to Jesus and they ask him this question, it's John the Baptist. You pointed out John the (laughs) Baptist, the greatest prophet born, knew Jesus from the womb, recognized him from the womb. This guy asks if Jesus is really the Messiah. And Jesus, rather than turning that around and saying, how dare you doubt me? Like, you know me, John. Come on. Like, you knew me from the womb, man. He doesn't do that. He doesn't chastise him. He simply sends the disciples back to John saying, tell them, tell him what you've seen and heard. And then reemphasizes, I'm doing the works that the Messiah was prophesied to do. Don't lose sight of that just because things aren't exactly going the way that you thought they would go. What a comforting way for him to handle that. Mm -hmm. That's so reassuring to me. It is, it is. And I think in John the Baptist's case, He's not doubting that God is going to work. And I think that's a huge part of it. Or he's not doubting that God has necessarily abandoned him. He's just trying to figure out, okay, where is God working? Like, that's what I want to be in on. And if you happen to not be that guy, like I thought, then I need to know to adjust fire and find that guy. And of course, Jesus is like, no, I am. Trust me. Which again, as you said, that's very reassuring to me because I've had thoughts like that, you know, so many times. I mean, just like he's riding in prison, essentially. And I'm sure he's heard the tale of the womb kick. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm sure like his, the mothers were like all about that story growing up oh, and he yeah. heard that about 20,000 times. But like that, I'm sure sitting in this prison, you have way too much time to think. You're, it's so easy to doubt that story. Like, yeah, maybe right. that happens. Eh, maybe yeah. maybe my mom was a little excited. Yeah. You, know, you could think of all of these excuses. How many times have I thought up excuses for things that were important to me in my youth right. that were like spiritually formative? Yeah. You have plenty of time to doubt that. And the further time separates you from the those events, the easier I think it is. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I think that kind of doubt falls under the category of, we'll say, doubt that's shown mercy. Okay. Because I think that's one broad category we see in the scriptures. That there yeah. are doubts that God is very generous about and he shows mercy with. Another example right off the top of my head I'm thinking of is, remember when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you're going to mm. oh, yeah. the son of God. And she's like, well, how will this be? You know, I'm a virgin. <laughs> like, that's not how this works. That's a, for lack of a better term, I think a reasonable doubt. Yeah. Like, and sometimes a rebuttal like that is met somewhat harshly. Right. Well, because like Zachariah is like, you know, Gabriel says your wife's going to have a son. And he's like, bet. how's that going to be? Yeah, bet. <laughs> like, I'm old. And Gabriel's like, mm, well, you're going to be mute until oh, this happens. You have to think that that's because of the, the disposition of the heart. Of course. Okay, and yeah. uh, so in the case of Mary, you know, Gabriel's like, well, I'm not going to give you all the answers, but short answers, Holy Spirit's going to make this happen. But then one of my favorite accounts in the scriptures and I think the prime example of this kind of quote unquote doubt is, if I'm remembering correctly, it's after Jesus has come off the Mount of Transfiguration, which is this amazing moment in the scriptures. He comes back down and his incompetent disciples once again are, are messing everything up. We give them such a hard time. Those poor guys are just, you know, they were doing the best they could too, just like us, you know, but they're trying to get this cast this demon yeah. out of this oh, boy. Oh, this story is wild. Yeah. And, you know, Jesus comes down and father's there and he's desperate. You know, he's like, your disciples can't do this. And, you know, this this demon's basically going to kill my boy. Yeah. And you know, Jesus is like, you know, oh, faithless generation. You know, how long am I to be with you? Bring me the boy. Does the whole nine yards, you know, says... I think it's possible if you believe. I think I'm remembering those words, right? Because the point being, we get to this moment where the father is like, I believe, help my unbelief. Yeah. Whoa, I feel that. Every time I read that, yeah. I feel that Absolutely. because I feel like so much of life is lived in this tension of, I believe, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that you're working all things together for my good Absolutely, and yeah. the victory is ours. All these things that we say, but then the world so often flies in the face of that for me. Or when I'm facing a pastoral crisis, I'm like, it doesn't feel like Jesus has the victory here. Yeah. So like, I believe, help my unbelief. And the way Jesus responds to that is he casts the demon yeah. out of the boy. And he responds to it with this grace and this this yeah. kindness. And I find that incredibly reassuring because I feel like a lot of a lot of life has lived in that tension. Absolutely. I think I've, in many ways, I've just been very, very fortunate that mm -hmm. my, like, most critical questions are not, like, the things that many people deal with, like a yeah. fundamental doubt in the existence of God. Like, th there right. are many hurdles that I literally just have not even entered in my life. Yeah. Period. Mm -hmm. So those basic um, kind of tenets, easy for me. Yeah. It's like all of this, like I was saying earlier, it's that inward doubt. The yeah. belief is there, but, you know, that does not give you safe passage from doubt. Right. Another category of this I think of is the Bereans in Acts 17. Hmm. So the Bereans are a group of Jews Paul preached to. He's preaching Jesus okay. as the Messiah, right? He's the fulfillment of the prophets and Israel's scriptures, all these things. And if you read Acts, you get the picture pretty quickly that most of the Jews hated Paul. <laughs> Oh, I mean, gosh. you get whole groups of people. I mean, you had a group of guys who said, we're going to take an oath not to eat until we kill Paul. <laughs> and which, by the way, they didn't succeed. So like, they died. did they starve to they death starved. or did they finally break down and decide, you know, well, that was a rash. Depends on how much eat. doubt they had in their own <laughs> commitment. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, full circle. Yeah. Whoa, what? <laughs> uh, so most of those guys hated Paul. They hated the message he preached just that's, like they hated Jesus. Wow, that's extreme. But the Bereans... Luke wrote in Acts, they were a noble group of men. And Aww. what they did was they kind of, for lack of a better term, I mean, they had 
their doubts, right? They're thinking like, yeah. is Jesus really the Messiah? Really? But rather than turning that into this kind of interrogation and this, well, we're no, like Jesus can't be it. We're going to run you out of town. It says they diligently searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. And they came to faith. I love the fact that in many ways, they feel like they're just approaching this with as much logic and reason yeah. and like honesty mm-hmm. as Paul. Like it makes so much sense. Yeah. For a people group to be in that exact situation. Right. And in that case, the fact that, you know, maybe they were even, I'm sure at some point in that transition, in that journey, feeling doubts about what they had thought and believed about the Messiah and about God's plan for Israel and for the nations. And they came through that, though, with faith in in Christ, which saved them, which kind of brings me to this place where I think these moments of doubt, where it's this kind of, I believe, help my unbelief. Mm -hmm. It's this, I still trust, but my experience of the world is kind of rattling me and what do I do? I think those moments, they can be a moment of passage to a stronger faith and a deeper communion with God and a deeper groundedness. Like your roots go deeper Mm -hmm. because of that doubt. But I think that that depends on the disposition of your heart. And if you're going to, you know, approach it like that father, you know, he said, I believe, but help my unbelief because you have doubts like that that show up in the scripture. But then you also have doubts that are rebuked and doubts that come with warning, which are the kind that you, you don't want to hang on any, I think, kind of doubt for too long. Like it's just not, it's not a, it's not a good place to be. You can't live life consistently like that. I don't think at least not with a, you know, in any arena whatsoever, whether it's your marriage, whether, you know what I mean? There's so many, so many ways that that will almost definitely send you into a spiral. Right. So that being said, there are definitely particular doubts that show up in scripture that have rebukes attached to them or warnings. Take, for instance, (laughs) Doubting Thomas. Classic. (laughs) Classic Doubting Thomas. So much that it's part of his name now. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel bad for Thomas. Like, (laughs) that poor guy, again, he was just in the spot where it's like, you know, just help me out here, you know? Oh, poor guy. Yes. (laughs) I feel so bad now. I know. But what we have with him is we have this moment where Jesus has shown up to the other apostles and he basically says, I'm not going to believe unless I touch his wounds. And Jesus, of course, shows up. And again, he doesn't chastise him. He comes like, put your hand in here. Yeah. Put your hand on my side. See that I'm flesh and bone like you are and that I'm alive. And, you know, Thomas And was bows. this like the very first time he was touched after resurrection? I, I actually, I don't know that Thomas maybe touched him. Oh, I don't okay. know that he actually Because I thought that. that was like a thing. Like, yo, yeah. don't touch me. Well, that's right. Yeah, because when Mary sees him, first sees him in the garden. Yeah. After he raises, she wants to cling to him. He's like, don't touch I me. I love yet. the fact I'm that he's guarding. He is in the dirt. He is guarding. He's like, hey, don't you touch me. <laughs> I love that image. <laughs> but, you know, he bows down, my Lord, my God. Yes. And Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. So he gets him to this place where he's like, all right, I've shown you. I'm real. I'm mm. alive. Like, now is the time to stop doubting and believe. Yeah. Which that's gentle. That's very. It is. You know. That's. But not, it's still there's a there's a, a yeah. course correction implied. There is right. He's not yelling at him, but <laughs> course correction implied for sure. Yeah. Which you know say this like I'm a sensitive person like. You say something like that, I might be like, I can't believe you're rebuking me so harshly. How could you imply I'm doubting, Jesus? How could Uh, you do that? I think I'd be like, oh, shoot. (laughs) I'm in trouble. I'm so sorry, Lord. So you have that kind of on the gentler side. But then in Hebrews, there's this bit 
It's Hebrews 4, if I'm remembering it correctly, where he says, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Evil. Yeah. Leading you, here's the key thing, leading you to fall away from the living God. Hmm. So in that case, when doubt becomes unbelief and that takes root in your heart, that can lead you to fall away from God. That's the kind of doubt that's like, that's definitely dangerous. Like when you're in this kind of death spiral where unlike John, you're not just questioning like, hey, I know God's going to work. He's going to fulfill his promises, but I need to know if you're the guy or if I need to look for someone else. This is, I think, the kind of person who's like, God is not working. He has rejected me. He's forsaken me. He's abandoned me. He has no purpose, no plan for me, for his people or anything like that. And I'm, I got to get out. And like you start entertaining those doubts and you start feeding them. That's the kind of doubt that can lead to an unbelieving heart that will lead you away from the Lord. And the author of Hebrews warns against that several times. He's like, you got to be careful about that. And you have to watch for that. Another instance of this is you think of the Israelites, okay, wandering the wilderness. Classic example, right? But I mean, it's hard not to pick on them. It's so so bad. I mean, they're to the point of irritation. Yeah. They're like, oh, here we are again, this block point. Thank you. (laughs) Like, like, come on, guys. It's like, it's like a season, season eight TV show where it's like, you've pulled the same villain in again. Like, come on, guys, we get it. But the Israelites live this and you have so many moments. I don't know which one to pick from, but you think, okay, let's take, for instance, they're in the wilderness. They've been rescued from slavery in Egypt, all these signs and wonders. God out in the desert, out in the wilderness is giving them manna from heaven, right? Like he is meeting their needs, like miraculously even. It's raining food. It's raining food, guys. That's pretty impressive. That's cool. Guys. I call that cool. Raining food. Yeah. (laughs) And they get to the point where they're so disillusioned with that Mm -hmm. and so tired of that that they start wondering, well, can God really take care of us? Can can he provide us meat? You know, how about that? Oh, my word. And guess what? He answers. He answers. What? (laughs) And then (laughs) the frightening thing about that, he's like, yeah, I'll give you meat. And he's like, I'll give it to you till it's coming out of your nostrils and you despise (laughs) it. And oh my gosh. And like the Psalms regularly come back to those moments of doubt and say, don't be like them. <laughs> like, Incredible. Don't do that. The Psalms are regularly calling back to God's faithfulness. And by the way, Israel's doubt in those years was bad. Like it got yeah. them into so much trouble. Good golly. Moses is literally up on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments. God is up there. You know, he dwells in total darkness. You know, thunder, lightning. Yeah. Moses is up there with him. And they're like, eh, he's been gone for a while. What's a while anyway? Yeah. Like, like at, at what point you're like, okay, well, now that he's gone, like, it's been 50, it's like, it's like you're in a college course and the professor hasn't arrived for the first 15, 15 minutes. minutes like, like, oh, I guess we can make a golden calf now. <laughs> you know, are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, yes. And that kind of, that doubt, that uncertainty, mm-hmm. that's not the kind you want to entertain or the kind that you want to continue to give ground in your life. I mean, in the end, you don't want to give any doubt continued ground in your life. You want to get that resolved and figured out. But there is a type of doubt like this where it's like, eh, did God really say? Oh, that's like a the good, serpent yeah. with Eve. Like, did God really say that? Did he really? Mm-hmm. And then, oh, I don't know. Did There's something he? more malicious about this variety of doubt. Yeah, yeah. A more malicious and a bitter heart, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And when to use the uh, the biblical imagery, when the fountain of life is is bitter and poisoned. Ooh. You can't drink from that. It's nope. going gonna, gonna to kill you. Yes, it's going to kill you. Mm. It's like the last act of the last crusade. Ooh, woof. Yeah. Woof doggy. Yeah. Don't touch that arc, man. Don't do it. Don't do it. The, yeah, we're, we're the, done. The last arc. The, the last arc, the lost arc, is the uh, the grail. Oh, that's the one. Okay. Yeah. Literally drinking water and he yeah. dies immediately on screen. Yeah. I'm, I missed that part. <laughs> 
Yeah, I got it all mixed up. <laughs> but uh, those, I think, in broad categories, the kind of doubts we experience and how God responds to them and how we ought to respond to one another. I mean, Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. Here's at the end of the day. Like, yeah. you, you see people who are having doubts and you don't know, you know, like, well, should I chastise them, warn them? Like, what should I do? Well, here's an easy answer at all times. Have mercy yeah. on those who doubt. I know I can, I'm impatient with my own doubts. And if someone's <laughs> getting patient with the doubts of other people, like, come on, you've seen God provide. Come on, you know he's yeah. taking care of you. But Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. So that's the safe route always. Hmm. Like Jesus, have mercy on doubt. Good example. Yeah. So that's it. That's, that's, we're out of time. <laughs> yes, we are. Look at us. We ramble. We rant. We, we have fun. You know, we do on even on on topics like this. True. See, well, like I said, we, we didn't leave you in the gloom. We didn't because we have Josiah. We here. didn't. The Lord yeah. is is good here. <laughs> oh, hey, if you have questions, shoot them to podcast at horizonschurch.net. And if you enjoy our content and it's helpful, subscribe and leave an honest, honest, honest five star review. Five star review. If there could be six, we'd ask. We would, but but we're only asking for five. Yeah, honest five star review. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.